Okay, so those are main things that I want to say. So, Father, we thank you uh, for this time here in your word. I pray that you would bless it. And this is very important for us, uh, this chapter, as we start getting into some heavy things. That, Lord, is very sobering. But, Lord, there's something for us to, to gain from and to take away and to pray through. And so, Lord, just bless this Bible study as you are pleased that we're here. This book was written for us. And, Lord, you want to speak to us through your word here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So keep in mind, as we've been going through the book of Revelation since the first of the year for six months now, we've been taking our time going through this book, and I hope you've been tremendously blessed. And again, I want to remind you that there's been a number of people that have told me or they've even emailed me. A lot of people are downloading our, our study on the book of Revelation that perhaps hear us on the radio. And, and they've never gone through a study in the book of Revelation or there's a lot of confusion. Um, and I know that it can be a book that is very heavy. It can be very sobering as we see that we're in that section now that uh, deals with God is going to be pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. But remember this, that John, as, as we emphasize beginning our study in the book of Revelation, is writing to a group of people that are being persecuted very heavily. They were being rounded up. They were being thrown in prison. They were being exiled. They were being, you know, burnt at the stake. And John, being a pastor himself, of course, he's the last living apostle that's on the scene, and he is experiencing persecution as well. Rome, with the emperor Domitian, has declared war on the Christians. And the Christians at this time, they don't have any prestige. They don't have any money. They have no power politically. And John is writing this book would bring a word of hope and comfort to them. You see, this is, this is much more than a book that, that which we look at and then uh, at current events and, and, and the charts and the, uh, just looking at all those things in detail. We are doing that as they relate to end time prophecy. But we need to keep in mind that John would bring this book back to a group of people that had experienced winds and adversity of persecution against them. You remember that John would write in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, that, uh, verse 9, that I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation, uh, as he was exiled, the tribulation of Rome was really coming down on them and was coming against them. And John being exiled to that island, and of course, John, as he's exiled there, this is a rocky, barren island uh, that is very cold, uh, very hot in the summertime. Uh, it's not pretty at all. When you went to that island as a, a prisoner, a political prisoner, usually you didn't come back. And we know that John was able to come back and bring this apocalypse, which means the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's there because of the testimony of Jesus Christ and because of the word of God. And John, as he is there, would come back to the Christians. He would come back to Ephesus, it's believed. And he would bring them this book and they would understand that Jesus is in their midst, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And that he saw their works and he knew all about them. And they would be reminded that there's a throne in heaven and, and one who sits on the throne, chapters 4 and 5. 
And they also needed to know that their prayers were being heard and were important to God. And you see, we need to know that as well as we go through tribulations, as we find ourselves in these days that can be difficult. And we wonder, Lord, are you on the throne? Are you in control? But to understand that he is in our midst, just as he's there with John, and John turned to him as he heard the, the sound of a, a loud voice as of a trumpet. And there is the Lord, and he's here in this place here tonight and he's in our midst and he hears our prayers and especially as we're going through tribulation he wants to hear the cries of his people and Jesus said you will have tribulation but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world and in this book we, we see visions of uh, uh, that are given to us and in all these visions we see interwoven is prayer and praise and worship we've seen that so far so John is on the island of Patmos. And you remember that in chapter 1 it says that he writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I believe what that means is, is that there he's focusing on the Lord. He's pressing in on the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord at that time. He, he's really drawing close to the Lord. He, he's on this island of problems and persecution. And we need to do the same thing when we go through difficult times because the tendency can be that we pull away from the Lord. You see, he wasn't just sitting at Patmos pouting or complaining or, Lord, you don't love me. But he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and suddenly he heard that voice. And there is Jesus there. And as you go through the persecutions, you find yourself in an island where you feel alone. We need to not draw, pull away from the Lord. We need to remember to draw close to the Lord. And we will hear his voice as you cry out to him. And that's why I love reading the Psalms because you see the psalmist and David and so many of them that in his difficulties and trials and, and, and problems that he went through, he's crying out to the Lord and the Lord begins to comfort him. And even as he would write, it's that in all my anxieties, Lord, that you are the one that comforts my soul and he will comfort us as well. So as we read here in chapter 8, John now records something about prayer. And I believe it's essential for us as believers to, to know this and to be encouraged by it. Let's begin to look at it in verse 1. We do read of Revelation 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. So you recall in our study that in chapter 5, in the heavenly scene, there was the seven-sealed scroll that was in the hand of God the Father. And Jesus goes and takes that scroll out of the one who sits on the throne. And then the, chain, the scene changes in chapter 6 where we saw that he began to open up those, uh, that seven-sealed scroll. And in chapter 6, the first six seals were opened up, and we saw all that took place, and, and the, the four horsemen that came in the first four seals. The fifth seal was the cry of the martyrs. The sixth seal was this cosmic and, uh, disturbance and, and geologic upheaval that was taking place. And then last week in chapter 7, we saw this kind of divine intermission um, to, to give us some detailed information about what's going on in the tribulation period. We looked at the 144,000 of the children of Israel sealed by God and, and their evangelists going out and, and ministering because there's a, a large group of believers, the tribulation saints, 
from every tribe, tongues, people, and nations that are seen as well in chapter 7. So all that that we looked at last time, and now chapter 8, the seventh seal is going to be opened up. And as we read here in verse 1, there's this silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, commentator after commentator may suggest why this half an hour silence, or most of them say it's really an unknown mystery. Uh, but I got a few suggestions that we can take it just for that that I think are, are just simple reasons why maybe there's this hush in heaven. We want to continue to read as we read in, in verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And, and we read here, that then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, verse 4 tells us, with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So all of a sudden, there's this silence in heaven for about a half an hour is what John writes. And, and as we see that the prayers are, are being offered up, and it is as though these prayers, the prayers of all the saints, not just some of them, along with the smoke of the incense, ascended before God. And I think that one of the reasons, number one, that perhaps there's this silence, to, to me it's almost as if God is saying, shh, quiet, hush. Because remember in chapter 5, there's a lot of noise, you know, as thunders and lightnings and are proceeding from the throne. And then around the throne, there's the four living creatures that are buzzing around the throne of God. They rest not day and night, and they have eyes all over them and six wings and these cherubim and four different faces. And, and they're buzzing around the throne of God, uh, and they are you know, crying out, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. It's almost like quiet. The 24 elders who perpetually were praying and, and worshiping the Lord. Silence. The great multitude that we saw in chapter 5, hush. And it's quiet in heaven. And here's the silence. It's, it's as though you could hear a pin drop. And it's as though the Lord is saying, hush, I'm listening, and I don't want to miss a word that is being prayed. That's what I like to think. And again, it's just a suggestion. And, and it's like the Lord is saying, I want to be all ears. Nothing else has my attention right now. So prayers of the altars of the saints are being offered. There can be a lot of noise around us in our day. I think there's more noise than ever before with our phones and our computers and our pads and, and everything else that goes on, and it can end up distracting us, getting our attention. We hear oftentimes, but we don't really listen. And here God says, hush, I want to hear. I really want to listen which to me speaks of as the prayers of the saints, of all the saints that are being presented before the Lord, it's, it shows me his love for us, his care for us, and his desire for us to call out to him. 
You know how it is, uh, perhaps, uh, a young couple that uh, are in love with each other. And you can see them at a restaurant, and they got their attention. They're talking to each other, and, and nothing else really matters around them. They're, they, you know, they've zoned everybody else out, and they're talking, and they're just totally paying attention to each other. But you know how it can be, couples. You know, you get married, and after a few years, uh, you know, I can be sitting there, and Sue's saying something, and I'm, you know, on my iPad and looking at something. She's going, are you listening to me? You know, are you paying attention? Or maybe I'm talking to her, and she's reading the newspaper, and she'll say, sorry, honey, you know, just, you know, we get distracted very easily, don't we, uh, after uh, time or, you know, after, you know, there are certain things, and, and, and here God's saying, listen, I want to fix my total attention on these prayers. I really want to hear it. Be quiet. Hush. And God is available totally to give you attention as you offer up prayer. And I hope that that brings you comfort here tonight as we consider this. And especially as you go through tribulation. But what happens so oftentimes is we don't pray, do we? And I mean, what happens is sometimes we, we, we spend time talking to, to others and uh, I've got to talk to them. And listen, I'm not saying don't do that. There is safety in a multitude of counsel, counselors and that's godly counsel. As brothers and sisters, we're there to talk and to, to lift each other up and, and, and to be there to pray with others. You know, but so oftentimes... We, we get distracted. We, we got to talk to this person. We got to call that person. We got to read the latest book, you know, on how to solve your problems. Or I got to look on social media. I got to Google something, whatever it might be. But oftentimes we really don't make priorities. What I'm saying is praying to an all-powerful, all-loving God who desires to give all of his attention to you, to your prayers. I hope that prayer is a priority. And I know I think that all of us that we can say, I pray, but I could pray more. Or that sometimes we get so distracted with things or, or whatever the case may be, we don't pray. Or when we go through tribulations, like I said, we can pull away from the Lord rather than drawing close to the Lord. So God hushes all of creation, all of heaven here to listen to those who are going through tribulation. My son, my daughter is praying. And I believe that there's this silence here because of that. And then in verse 3, as we read here, the incense speaks of our prayers being a sweet smell and aroma to God. Now in the Old Testament, the priests, they would get that coal off of the altar that was out in the outer court, and they put it in a bowl of incense. They would go into the holy place, and there was an altar of incense where they would burn that incense. And the smoke of the incense would represent the prayers of the people, and it would be considered, as the Old Testament says, a sweet smell and aroma to God. You see, our prayers don't just hit the ceiling. Do you ever feel that way? That as you're praying, they hit the, the ceiling and kind of bounce back? Um, prayer isn't just to make us feel good. There are those who are out there that say, oh, you Christians, you just pray. It just makes you feel good. No, prayers are powerful. We saw that on Monday. We who are on the prayer chain, those of you who do pray, you've seen God working in powerful ways in the lives of people. It is real, and God wants us to pray, and he, it pleases him when we do come and pray. 
He tells us to pray. Be persistent in prayer. Remember Romans chapter 12? That you're to be fervent in prayer. Uh, Jesus taught about the parable of, of being, you know, persistent in prayer with the, the widow that went to the judge. We are to pray, as Jesus even said, ask, please ask that your joy may be full. So here is this, this silence in heaven. And, and our prayers are important. And, and I think that the Lord is saying, I want to hear the prayers of the saints that are coming before me. But he wants to hear you today. Because your prayers are important to him. Second of all, why I think that perhaps there's this silence in heaven is that we see here that this seven seals is being opened up. Chapter 6, as I mentioned to you, the first six seals were opened up and that seven seal scroll that Jesus had in his hand. The interlude that we saw with the, the intermission in chapter 7 with the 144 thousand from the 12 tribes of Israel sealed by God, the tribulation saints that are there. And with the opening now of the seventh seal, we're going to see seven angels are going to stand up and they're going to blow their trumpets. And then the seventh angel, when he blows his trumpet, seven more angels are going to stand up with bowls or vials and they're going to pour out their judgment on a Christ-rejected world. And it is not pretty, the chapters that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. People ask me all the time. It's one of the questions that I get. Sometimes I get it quite a bit on the radio program. Why does it seem like God is a God of judgment in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament? Kind of like God mellowed out in the New Testament. And he's a you know, God of judgment in the Old Testament because we see judgment that is there in the Old Testament. I tell them, you know, after I begin to talk to them about it, have you read the book of Revelation in the New Testament? Because we see that judgment isn't just going to come on a nation that you see in the Old Testament. It's going to come on the whole world. And this is judgment that's coming from the Lord. But we need to also understand that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And remember that in that upper room, that it was Philip that asked Jesus, show us the Father that it may suffice us. And Jesus said, oh, Philip, you've been with me all this time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I think that, that Jesus was really disappointed, you know, in that question. And he answered Philip, oh, Philip, you know, you've been with me. If, if you want to know what the Father is like, the essence and the nature of the Father, look at me. Because the Father and I are one. And you see, the Father in the Old Testament is the same as the Father in the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the same as in the New Testament. And in the book of Exodus, in chapter 34, God declared his name to Moses and said, Moses, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And it was David that wrote in Psalm 86, But you, O Lord, are God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and grace. God declares his name there in the Old Testament, long-suffering and merciful and, and gracious and loving. And we know that God made a covenant with his people. And he said that if you disobey and go after those idols and continue in it, then there is going to be judgment that's going to come. 
And so we see that. We see that it was God that told Abraham that, Abraham, you're going to be your descendants four generations, 400 years in Egypt while I deal with the iniquity of the Canaanites. They had 400 years to repent. The Philistines had over 400 years to repent. When they captured the Ark of the Covenant, they, they you know, came out to do battle, and they said, oh, this is the God that dealt with the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Pharaoh that the nations will know that I am the Lord, and they were to turn to him. But the Canaanites refused. The Philistines refused, even though they had seen the powerful hand of God. The children of Israel, the house of, of Israel, the ten northern tribes, fell into idolatry just as Judah did. And the prophets came. And the prophets warned them and told them to turn back. And God's loving hand was reached out to them. But they rejected that. We know that God is loving and long-suffering and abounding in grace and mercy. But he's also a just God. And we need to remember that. And he is going to judge sin. He's going to judge sin. And as he does, this is what's happening here. And I think that perhaps there's a silence because now the judgments are going to be unleashed that leads to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. This is a very sobering time. And it's like all of heaven all of a sudden is taking this deep breath. And, and there's a sense of awe and, and an astonishment. And the time has come. Please, as there's a silence, don't picture the fathers up there in heaven rubbing his hands. He's going, ha, ha, ha. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. These people are really going to get it. And the people are going, yeah, and there's this big rally and, you know, high-fiving and can't wait for the fire and brimstone and all of this to come down. It isn't that way. It's like silence. Oh, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Remember that Jesus, as the disciples said, teach us to pray. You pray in this manner. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. For God's kingdom to come, these judgments are going to happen. In Ezekiel 33, the Lord says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Micah chapter 7, verse 18, he delights in mercy. And you remember as we were reading the book of Isaiah before we went into the book of Revelation, going through Isaiah, Isaiah was weeping because he was pronouncing this judgment that would come on the house of Israel and the house of Judah because of their continued disobedience and rejection of the Lord. So does Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. You remember that Jesus, he wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets that were sent to her. How I long to gather you under my wings as a, uh, as a hen gathers her chicks. Uh, how I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing to come, and now your city is left to you desolate. And you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Speaking of that day when there is going to be restoration that's going to come to them. But he wept over Jerusalem. So as we go through this section, we see these, these trumpet judgments that are coming. What is our attitude? What's our attitude? Do we think, all right, can't wait till you know, God just wipes them all out and this world out? Or do we weep? Do we weep 
like Jesus did? Do we weep like Isaiah and Jeremiah, that, that people that have rejected Christ and, and, and their sin is going to be judged? You and I, we can be thankful because Jesus took the judgment for you and for me on that cross. And that's the good news. And we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But do we weep for those around us because we see that all the things around us, the rumblings and the signs that point to that the Lord's coming back soon. And, and I believe that, that we're in the last days. And there are people around us that are rejecting the Lord. And as we go through chapter 8 and we go into chapter 9 and all these heavy things are going on and these, these seven angels that blow the trumpets, we see that the people refuse to repent from their sins. And it's like God is giving them time when we go into chapter 9, which is such a heavy chapter that we're going to see these demons come out, tormenting men for five months. And you think, why would God do that? And it's almost as if God is saying, listen, if you're tormented five months, it's not nearly as bad as being tormented forever and giving them a chance to turn to him. So God is merciful. But I also know that there are going to be those who will reject him. And Jesus said that the road is narrow. There's only a few that find it. And wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many will find it. And so as we look at the people around us, we need to weep. We need to weep at those that we work alongside of and family members and friends and neighbors because they don't know the Lord. And he will judge sin and the question is are we going to fall on the mercy of God and the grace of God as we look to the cross of Calvary as Jesus took the judgment for you and for me and then he cried out it is finished and what we will see in chapter 20 is the great white throne judgment of those who have rejected Christ that they will be sentenced to outer darkness forever and hell is real and judgment is real. So that's just why it's real sobering. And I think there's this deep hush of quiet because all of a sudden there's no turning back now. This is the time for all things to be fulfilled and, and, and the judgments and the wrath that is coming. And the, as we read in verse 5 again, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunders, thunders, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake, as we read here. It, it's quiet. It's an amazing you know, verse. The prayers are, are, are touched by fire from the altar in heaven and thrown back to the earth. All things will not be resolved on the earth until judgment comes and when the prayers of God's people come back to the earth. It brings earth-shaking judgment with noise and thunders and lightnings. And I think it's divine thunder and lightning, earthquake. Jesus said again, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And now that prayer is being answered. These judgments are going to happen before Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. Now, you remember in chapter 6, the fifth seal that was opened up? It was the cry of the martyrs saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until your judgment and you avenge our blood who dwell on the earth? And it was said to them that they should rest a little bit longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were were completed. Some commentators and scholars suggest the prayer of the martyrs are now being answered. 
Sometimes we pray in our difficult situations and it seems like things aren't happening right away. Lord, why am I going through this tribulation? Why am I being persecuted by this person? Why am I in these circumstances? Lord, why have you allowed this? And we pray and we cry out to God and we think that God doesn't care or he doesn't hear us. But God has his perfect timing for everything. And what he says to you and to me is just rest. Just rest. Let me work. Don't stop praying. And I think that's the tendencies I've already said for us to stop praying or, you know, we get weary or we get angry. It was in Daniel chapter 10 that Daniel had been praying for three weeks, for 21 days. And all of a sudden this angel comes along to Daniel and says, Daniel, from the first day your words were, were heard. In other words, the Lord heard your words. And we're going to make reference to Daniel chapter 10 in just a minute. But your prayers are heard. And it's a hard thing to wait on the Lord. We think, Lord, I've been praying. Lord, come and work in this situation. Lord, help me. I'm being, you know, uh, just beat up in this world. I'm weary. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, this person is coming down on me. I'm in this difficulty. And we pray and we pray. And I want you to know that your prayers are being heard. And the Lord is working. And to wait on the Lord is something that isn't easy. But the Lord desires for us. And the promise given that as we call out to him and we wait on him, that he will be gracious to those who wait on him. He will be good to those who wait on him. He will work for those who wait on him. That's what the Bible says. So here are these that have been crying out to the martyrs. Wait a little bit longer. And this is being fulfilled now that all of a sudden this judgment is coming on a Christ-rejected world. And so verse 6, as we read, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. This is where you hear in the Bible that there are seven archangels. But the Bible never says that there are seven archangels. The archangel occurs only in two verses in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The other passage is in Jude, that little epistle right before the book of Revelation, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So you're wondering, what was that all about? Wait till we get to Revelation chapter 11. But Michael is the only named archangel in Scripture. The word archangel comes from archangelos. It means chief angel. It's a compound word from archon, chief, and angelos, angel or messenger. Now the Bible suggests in several places that angels have a hierarchy of leadership. And the archangel seems to be the leader of, you know, that hierarchy. Like, like angels, archangels are personal beings created by God. They possess intelligence, power, and glory, but they are never, never to be worshipped. It's interesting in that reference of Jude chapter 1 verse 9 that it uses the definite article when referring to Michael the archangel which could very well indicate that Michael is the only archangel. 
However, when you go to Daniel chapter 10, it describes Michael as one of the chief princes, possibly indicating that there's more than one archangel. Matter of fact, let me read it to you. What's interesting that remember I said that Daniel had been praying for three weeks. Uh, I'll read it to you in verse 12 that do not fear Daniel uh, as the angel came to him for, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I have come because of your words. In, in verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So there's this battle going on in the spiritual w world. All of a sudden, this demon, this prince of Persia, comes against this angel that was to come to Daniel, and he withstood me 21 days. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there uh, with the king of Persia. So all of a sudden we get this glimpse of the spiritual world that's kind of opened up to us. Michael the archangel, who's one of the chief princes, so it could be that, that there are other archangels. So we don't know for sure. Is Gabriel one of them? Did you ever hear that Michael and Gabriel both are archangels? Gabriel is associated with messages that deal with the coming Messiah. Now here, as we read in the book of Revelation, back to our text, these are the seven angels that we read here who have the seven trumpets prepared to sound. These seven angels that are before the throne of God, as we read here in uh, verse 6, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets um, that they prepared themselves to sound. Definite article, the seven angels. So these are seven angels that are going to blow their trumpets is it Gabriel could be one of them? Because remember in Luke chapter 1, when Zacharias is there in the temple burning incense, and all of a sudden Gabriel comes, he's named in chapter 1, he says, Zacharias, you and Elizabeth are going to have a, a, a son, and his name's going to be John, who is John the Baptist, and he's going to come before the Messiah. And Zacharias says, you know, and, and it was also in that chapter that it was uh, Gabriel that said that Zacharias, your prayers have been heard, you and Elizabeth. Now he was past the age, and Elizabeth, of having a child. And I just wonder if Zacharias is there scratching his head saying, what do you mean our prayers have been heard? We stopped praying a long time ago. But your prayers have been heard. And you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. Zacharias says, how do I know this is true? He says, I'm Gabriel who stands before the presence of God. So it could be Gabriel's one of these. We don't know for sure. It is interesting that Daniel chapter 10, listen, that it says that the, the prince of, of Persia came against that angel, messing with him and preventing him from coming. And, and then uh, the, the, uh, the prince of Greek is mentioned, of Greece. So there seems to be in this hierarchy, remember that Paul, kind of putting it all together, hope I'm not being confusing, that remember that he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in higher places. So there seems to be a hierarchy of demonic forces. There's Probably a hierarchy with chief princes, uh, the archangel of angels, of God's angels. There seems to be demons that are assigned over empires or nations because they're mentioned, one over Persia, one over Greece. 
Michael the archangel in Daniel chapter 12 is the chief prince of your people, Daniel. So Michael the archangel seems to be assigned to Israel. Could it be that when 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed by an angel, was that Michael? We know that Michael's going to stand up at the end of the tribulation period on behalf of you know, Daniel's people, which are the Jews. So could there be angels over nations? There is Michael over Israel. And there's demonic you know, influences over nations. It's all fascinating. We don't understand it all. I wonder, though, if there is a demonic spirit that is assigned to the United States. I wouldn't be surprised because Satan is working overtime. And we're getting further away from the Lord. I, I hope there's an angel, that God has an angel. I, I know God's the one in control. You know, all that that's going on, we're going to see angels being mentioned and all of a sudden the, the demonic realm, you know, is going to be opened up. It's going to be seen in chapter 9 and all this. It, it's interesting to think, but these... Uh, you know, angels sounded their trumpets. Verse 7, we need to move on. The first angel sounded a hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of all the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned. Uh, it, it seems as though the first four, you know, trumpet judgments deals with um, judgment on the earth, the environment. Um, we read the first one, people read this and they ask how's this going to happen i don't know uh, as as we look at this uh, here john begins and he'll use this language uh, going through this he says it's like there the first trumpet um, it, it's like so here is hail and fire followed mingled with blood thrown into the earth a third of the trees burned up grass of green you know, green grass was burnt up. Um, you can imagine the fallout and the smoke from the vegetation being struck. Uh, we see smoke sometimes, you know, when fires are in California or in west of here, how it's all hazy all summer long. Can you imagine when a third of it, the earth is going to be struck? And then the second angel sounded something like, not a great mountain, but something like a great mountain, Burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures of the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. I think uh, I read where there's like 45,000 cargo ships in the sea at one time. So there's something like a great mountain burning with fire cast into the sea. An asteroid, we don't know what it is. But the result is cataclysmic, great ecological disaster, and a third of the creatures dying would produce great pollution, of course, from the dead carcasses. And, and sometimes we hear about, it's a concerning that in South America and uh, how some of the rainforests are being cut down and how the rainforests produce oxygen for us and it's good for us in trees. Well, what about the plankton? I read where the plankton produce 80% of the oxygen back into the earth, in the ocean. So a third of the ocean being polluted and, and that living in the ocean would have great ecological disaster. Verse 10, the third angel sounded. A great star fell from heaven. We, again, don't know what that is. Burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. 
and a third of the waters became wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. So our precious resource here, especially in the West, is what? Water. Fresh water. We're blessed here in Greeley because we got the best tasting water in North America. And whenever I go somewhere, it's like we do have good tasting water. We can thank those who work very hard in bringing water here. And, you know, it's amazing what they did, bringing it from the Continental Divide. But, you know, most people can last only three to six days, you know, without any water, usually three or four. And here, the third trumpet, a third of rivers, lakes, springs are polluted. Wormwood is a poisonous plant in the Middle East. They're, they're poisoned the fresh water. No more fly fishing, that's for sure. I mean, you think about it, it's so sobering. And then the fourth angel in verse 12 sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I look, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound, which will be in the next ch chapter. When the scripture uses that word woe, it is really bad news. It is really bad news. The last three trumpets are called the three woes. Again, this is very sobering. If you're new to Bible study here tonight, you just happen to come on a night where it's real heavy, you know, and next week as well. We find ourselves in the book of Revelation. But it does something for us, doesn't it? I mean, we read this and we think, wow, is this really going to happen? Yes, it's going to happen. John, write these things that must take place shortly. These things are going to happen. Judgment is going to come in a Christ-rejected world. Jesus said that in the great tribulation, that it will be great tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And here these judgments are coming down. What does it do for us today? It, it, what it does is it, it keeps us, you know, sober-minded. It, it, it really presses upon us how we need to pray, not only for ourselves, not only for our brothers and sisters, we need to pray for those that we care about and know and have, you know, relationships with, are linked to in our lives. We need to pray for them because this is real. And sometimes we go through life and we all can go through this. We've been told to be alert and be awake. Sometimes we get a little sluggish and sleepy and something happens, you know, and we kind of wake up and, and, and then we kind of go back into the routines and we get busy in the distractions. We all can do that, certainly, the cares of life. But I hope that tonight it reminds us that we need to keep praying. We need to be a light to others. We need to be ones that weep for those who are lost, even as Isaiah did, Jeremiah did, even as Jesus did. Do we have that heart? Do we have that heart for the lost? Because there's a whole lot of people that they don't know Jesus. So let's stand firm for the gospel, all right? Let's be a light to others. Let's understand that all this is culminating to where judgment is going to be poured out on a Christ-rejected world. But to give the good news to others that come to Christ who took the judgment for you and that his grace and forgiveness and love and eternal life is available as you surrender to him because this world is coming to a disastrous end and this world is not your hope. Be praying. 
Let's be a light. Let's do it, all right? As a church, let's just be having that eternal perspective of that, you know what? The Lord has been good. The gospel is true. And that is all going to culminate to the coming of his kingdom. We get to be a part of that. We're going to rule and reign with him. But also, the sobering thought of judgment is going to come. And to those who reject him, that judgment will come to them. Let's love others. Let's be a light to them. Let's pray for them. Father, we do. We just, this is a heavy chapter. It's not a feel-good message at all. But Lord, we also know that you have provided, first of all, um, a way out to escape the judgment. Even as Jesus said, pray always that you be counted worthy to escape you know, the wrath to come and to stand before the Son of Man. So Father, I pray that we would. And I pray that we would be ones that we are going to escape the wrath, the judgment, because we're not appointed to wrath, but to attain salvation through Jesus Christ. So I pray here, if there's anybody that is here tonight, please, please, if you haven't truly come to Christ, it doesn't mean that you have to clean up your act first. That's not the gospel. The gospel is come as you are, but repent. And Jesus will do that work in you as you surrender to him. But if you have not made a commitment to Jesus, he died for you and took the wrath for you and the judgment that was placed upon him. He tied it a terrible death of pain and suffering on that cross. And he loves you and he did it for you to die for your sins. All of your sins were placed upon him and he became the propitiation, the satisfaction. The satisfaction of of a righteous God, the requirement for sin. Jesus did that, became the sacrifice, took atonement, made atonement for you. And then he was put into a grave and he rose again. He's alive. He proves he's the son of God. No one else did that for you. Only Jesus. Will you come to him? If it means anything to anyone here tonight, if you're in a coffee shop or here, or maybe you're listening online, maybe you're going to hear it later on the radio, come to Christ. He is your salvation. And he promises forgiveness and eternal life and right relationship with the Father where you don't have to have the spirit of fear fear, but a spirit of adoption where you can cry out, Abba, Father, where you belong to a kingdom that will last forever. And he says, come. He loves you. You can call out to him. You can pray in your heart that Jesus, I come and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me a sinner. I believe he died on the cross for me. You rose again in your life. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life. And I want to know you. And I want to walk with you. And I thank you for your love for me in this new beginning. I thank you for forgiving me. And I thank you for belonging to a kingdom now that lasts forever. To the family of God. In Jesus' name.
If you prayed that prayer, when we close here in just a minute, come up and tell them the decision you made. Come and find me. I, I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. There's people here, the prayer team, that want to pray with you. But for all of us, may we look at these things because we can look at it and say, you know, all right, and and all of this, and get our charts out and debate what's all going to happen. But Lord, you're telling us that even as there was a hush in heaven, that it causes us to be quiet before you and to be praying because you hear our prayers and to be praying for those interceding for those that we love and never give up. Because I know that every single one of us that are here, we have people in our lives, whether it's a spouse or a child or a relative or a co-worker or a friend that don't know you. And maybe perhaps they've caused difficulties and maybe hardships and hurt. But Lord, even right now, it's just been a minute. Name those that you know that have been on your heart. And I know that we can't name them all right now before the Lord. Name them by name. Lord, save them. Touch their hearts. Open up their eyes. My son, my daughter, my grandchild, my relative, that neighbor, that co-worker, whoever's been on your heart. Lord, open up their eyes. Soften their hearts. Help me to be a light to them and truth to them. Lord, draw them to yourself. Lord, take your word and work it within their hearts. The seeds that are planted of truth, your word may get watered. Lord, I pray that you would just reach down and touch them and you keep praying for them showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, may we be a church that we care for this community, we care for the lost, and that we would stand firm on the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Lord of all lords, the King of all kings, and every knee shall bow down and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is none other and declare his love, the hope that we have in him. So, Father, may we leave this place rejoicing because we're not appointed to wrath, but also that we would see people the way that you want us to see them, out of a heart of love and concern. And, Lord, we thank you that we learned tonight that our prayers are heard. And sometimes people look at the situation that we're in and they say, you don't have a prayer, but we know that we do to a loving Father who hears our prayers and considers them like sweet-smelling incense. We can cry out to you. Lord, bless everyone here now as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he?